Before we get into our episode today, I want to talk about the last couple of weeks in the news, specifically the Kavanaugh hearing and all the controversy surrounding it. I think we can all agree it's been a difficult time. It's a time when we really have to try to consider each other's feelings. Chances are you or somebody you know has been personally affected by all of this. This show would like to open a dialogue about what this experience has been like for couples, friends, and close relations all over the country. So we'd like to ask for your story. Has the Kavanaugh hearing threatened to tear a close relationship of yours apart? Or have you or any people you know figured out a way to have a discussion on this red-hot topic that hasn't ended in raised voices or slammed doors? We want to hear from you on I love you but I hate your politics. Let's try to learn from each other how to remain civil in our passionate disagreements without destroying our relationships. Email us at podcasts at macmillan.com. Okay, now on with this week's show. Hello, and welcome to I Love You, But I Hate Your Politics. I'm Dr. Jeannie Safer. So far on this show, we've encountered a few different types of political arguments between couples and friends. This episode is a little different. This argument had nothing to do with one candidate over another, or one party over another, or anything like that. Instead, this couple's biggest fight concerns something much more personal, something integral to the identity and social history of this country. On today's episode, we'll meet Charlie. Okay, my name is Charlie James. Uh, I'm from London. And Nicole. Uh, my name's Nicole Wing. I'm from California, the Bay Area, and my age is 31. Uh, she's slightly older than me. I'm 20 years old as of last week. They both work in fashion. Charlie is a model, Nicole as a photographer. But there are unusual things about their relationship. A big age gap, a difference in nationality, and, most important, in race. As a result, these two have a radical discrepancy in their understanding of American history, and of race relations in particular. This led to one argument that could have jeopardized everything. We've both been working in the fashion industry. I primarily worked on menswear shoots. We booked them for three different shows. So I would see them at the shows. I photographed a lot of the shows. You know, exchange pleasantries when we've seen each other, nothing major. But he was nice. He would always pose. Sometimes the models fight you. A couple years later, he finally got his visa, came to New York and, you know, wrote me on the DM on Instagram, that kind of thing, and wanted to just to, to shoot. He just said he wanted to shoot. You know, I saw her photography was doing really well. I was like, oh, hey, I'll hit her up. You know, I'm not really doing anything. A lot, a lot of times after photo shoots, the crew will go to dinner. So it can be kind of customary if somebody asks you to join them at dinner afterward. It's pretty normal. So I was like, okay you know, but I'm not going to date you, I'm not going to, you know, this isn't that thing. And then he was like, oh, hey. The dinner turned into a movie, and then first date turned into a second date, turned into a third, fourth. You know, he's just kind of sweet. So we started dating in, like, March, 
and we moved in together in like July, I think. If I was sad or wanted to talk, he was just sort of there. And he made a real strong push and commitment early on to just make up for his lack of experience with love and affection and just being the best he could be. I don't know, I mean, I just sort of took a leap, you know? Took a leap. My mum has always kind of treated me as an adult from a very young age, so I've never really been spoken to as a child. She's always been, you know, mum and dad, always had my back. Um, and my mum has always been very set on doing what she wants to do. She's always, she's always like, no, I'm going to do this. You can do that if you want, but I'm going to do this. This is the way that I think it should be done. Um, I'm very brash. And like I said, I kind of just like to do things. Everyone has their own agenda. It's your path, you've got to take it. You know, you make the decisions. Moved around a lot because of modeling. Well, I've lived here for a year. I've lived in Tokyo, Japan for four months. Paris. Milan, Amsterdam, you name it, I've probably been there. You know, I was always sort of seen as everyone was equal, doesn't matter, you black, white, Chinese, whatever. You know, if you're poor, you're poor. If you're rich, you're rich. If you're an idiot, you're an idiot. You know, and I will call you upon such. My mom, she's 71 and she's mixed. African-American, Choctaw, Cherokee, Filipino, Irish, Spanish, French, and Portuguese. But my dad, he's of uh, European descent, just like Norwegian. I have black people who will look at a photo of me and go, is she black? There's something about her nose, you know? What's so frustrating is that because I'm so many ethnicities, people can never, they never guess. They, they think I'm Latin, they, they think I'm this, they think I'm that, and, they, and they, wanna, they wanna fit me into their bubble where it's comfortable for them. I guess that's sometimes I get frustrated with the term ethnicity. Like I understand that there's roots and you're supposed to accept, you know, like know about your heritage because it tells about you, but sometimes I'm like, what does it really tell about me? My boss that I work for, a photographer, he's Danish, when he found out that my grandfather was 100% Norwegian and that I was the most same of anything is technically Norwegian, he treated me different. Suddenly I was kin. Suddenly I was, you know, part of this long legacy of history that he was so proud of and, and I was carrying that on and he just, he just treated me different from that day on. I don't think that's like a racism thing. I don't know if it's race per se. I guess it is. I guess it is. Okay, so the argument that me and Nicole had was we were in my apartment. Well, we were in our apartment. South Brooklyn, which is Crown Heights, Flatbush area, an all-black neighborhood. So we were in the kitchen with our ex-roommate, and there was some, there was like this group of like 13, 14, 15-year-old like black kids outside, you know, being loud. You know, like any kid is just loud. I think they were just like setting off firecrackers. And it was uh, like 11 o'clock at night. I'm a very quiet, you know, I'm kind of an old man. <laughs> Even though I'm young, I have my slippers and my cup of tea with my bathrobe and I'll sit on the couch and watch The Office. And like, I'm happy with that. But like, I, I, I don't like loud noise um, just because it irritates me. It's just very unnecessary. I made a throwaway comment that was like, Oh God, what did he say? 
not acceptable at all. It's like something kind of just. Why can't the poor black people in this neighborhood just shut the f up? It basically got very out of hand very quickly. It was very much fueled by her roommate, you know, calling me a racist and she like jammed down my throat. She was like, you can't say that. I was almost embarrassed when Charlie spoke that way in front of her because I knew how she was going to take it. And the thing is, I knew she's, she's kind of right. That's really horrible. You need to watch some documentaries. You need to realize what you've said. <laughs> so Charlie, who's one young, two British, um, you know, I kind of gave him a bit of a pass for stuff like that because I knew that he didn't have the history. But then once he's in a Caribbean neighborhood and speaking on it, it's like I get where you're coming from, but it's such a sensitive subject because of the history of the culture and the country that you can't really speak about it like that without getting in trouble, especially as a white man. We had like a huge uh, talk that night. Nicole was very much, you know, crying and shouting at me and... I, I mean, I don't like to think of myself as angry, although I'm sure I did kind of get irritated with him. Like, you know, how could you say such a thing? You know, you know that I'm half black and that, you know, my family grew up in America, so you know how that affects me. You're participating in a country that's like going through huge changes right now. And like, you have to understand where you fall within those changes. Because whether you want to or not, you're living here and you're going to be part of it. Her like family really liked me. And she said that, you know, how would you feel if my dad heard you say that? And, you know, he would have just instantly not liked you from then on, you know, like he has no tolerance for that. That is absolutely disgraceful. I can't believe you did that. You don't need to give your opinion. You don't need to be some freedom fighter or like anything. You just need to know when to shut up. I was in a very like defensive state at that time that she was saying those things. That's just very how I get during arguments because I don't take the time to listen to how other people feel or how other people think about things because, you know, I'm a doer. I just kind of do things and don't really think about what I'm doing whilst I'm doing it. I was full for my opinion and exactly how I was because, you know, the barriers had gone up and that's it. No, don't want to know. You say what you like. These are my views. Pig-headed Charlie is coming out. No one's getting in my brain. That's it. I'm, I'm closed off for the rest of the argument. He was definitely like walls up. Like, I feel the way I feel and I'm allowed to feel this way. You don't want something like that, like being irritated with the kids outside making noise to turn into an all-out like hatred of that culture because you know nothing about them. It's like, how do you explain 300 years of systematic segrega segregation and just how, how, how do you explain that culture to someone and how it's impacted the shape of our current nation? Who's not from here? Who doesn't really have anything to do with it? But because he is a white man who looks Aryan, he's gonna get pinned as that white oppressor, you know? And it's like, how do you explain that to someone who has tons of black friends, participates in black culture, and has no idea what cultural appropriation means. You really need to, to stop being ignorant. You need to think before you speak. Um, otherwise, 
that's it, you know, we can't see each other anymore if you, you know, don't accept that what you said was wrong. When we come back, I'll talk with Charlie and Nicole to discuss the argument they had that night and how they managed to move forward in the aftermath. I met with Charlie and Nicole months after their initial blow-up. It was clear that they'd moved on from that argument, at least to some degree. But it also seemed that they hadn't fully processed why it had escalated the way it did. When I asked Nicole to describe how she reacted to Charlie's comment, she said... By lecturing him. Always a good plan, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, in a way, it's a way to try to control your anger. It has exactly the opposite effect, and I know this from personal experience. (laughs) I mean, we hadn't lived together very long, and, you know, we were still... We were living together quite yet, were we? Actually, I think it might have been the day I moved in. My, oh, wow. I think it might have been the day oh, wow. I moved what in, a, What an auspicious beginning, right? <laughs> so, you know, maybe both of you were also kind of on edge because this is a yeah. big commitment in your relationship. And then you say this thing, and then she starts lecturing you. And What gave you the idea to give him a history of racism at this moment? I'm a Gemini, and that's what I do. <laughs> Astrological influences aside, it was clear that Nicole's words had a real impact on Charlie at the time. But it wasn't the impact she was hoping for. We were kind of just arguing about the the same thing for a long time. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Nicole started being like, well, you, you know, you need to educate yourself. You can't just go around saying these things in America where you have no idea the history, you have no idea the culture. Which in some way is true, but in another way probably wasn't a fabulous thing to say, right? Well, I mean, I felt like, you know, sod you all, I'm just going to do what I want to do and... Well, but I, I wanted I, him to know that that, you know, I, I appreciate that spirit, you know, I do like that spirit. Yeah, I kind of like it too, although I wouldn't have liked the comment any more than you did. But, well, but you see, the fact that you appreciated his mm-hmm. spirit is what I'm talking about. That there was something in both of you that you weren't going to let this uh, be a disaster. Well, no, it's such a, you know, it's such a, such a small thing that, you know, is so easily, you know, learned. Yes. Because it actually doesn't super directly affect either of us like directly daily day you know what I mean daily in our what we do it doesn't actually affect us it's just that we're around it and we see it and that's right you know if if Nicole had a younger brother who happened to be one of the kids on the street setting off fireworks and I'd have made that comment yeah it probably would have been different yes um, well, you certainly were open to the possibility that you were ignorant about something. No, which of course. I think, well, I mean, I, I wasn't at the time. I thought I knew everything because I'm a thick-headed idiot. Eventually. That's not well, how it came off in the why? argument. I was a proper arsehole. Nicole felt that she just had to explain it all. American history, racism, segregation, and how all of that was related to Charlie's comment. I, like, so desperately wanted to paint him a picture of, like, of, like, why what I'm saying is important. Well, you know, this is a really interesting point, mm-hmm. Nicole, that, that I can completely understand what you wanted to do because everybody in that position feels it. But on the other hand, it's probably the last thing that would be effective at that moment. Mm-hmm. You, the person's already incredibly defensive and already pissed off, and, you know, it'll never work. And I think that's something that couples have to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, that the, the time, I guess my principle is, 
the time where you want to say the most, you should say the least. Right. You know, it would have been much more effective, actually, right. actually if you weren't heated at the moment. Well, we did, we did, I did come back to it later. Yeah, no, she, right. once, once we'd settled down, you know, she was... You were not, uh, I mean, you I may mean, not have wanted to do it at the moment. I know I'm not a very well-read person, especially on American history and, you know, black culture, because it's not something that I've ever had to learn. Sure. You know, learning about day-to-day -day American culture isn't, you know, isn't in my repertoire. So I, you know, I understand that I'm not very well-read on that, so... You know, Nicole saying that to me, he was like, yeah, you know what, that's a fair point. His reaction of it's eye-opening rather than the hell with you that you're making me look at this, you're sticking my face in it, is part of what makes the relationship work. Well, it's not that he's not, because he's not, he's not a racist. He doesn't hate black people. Well, he of course just, not. He just wants kids to shut up on the block, you know, like, well, which we can is pretty really reasonable. <laughs> Did this have any repercussions in your relationship, this fight? Not really. No. Well, you see, that's a good sign. It means that there must be enough that's good and enough that really you do relate to with each other that something like this didn't turn into World War Three. Well, it was just never like I was like, oh, he's a bad person, or he was like, I'm a bad person, or she's a bad person. It was never that. It was like, oh, there's this really big gap in the workings of you, and we need to fix but that. But that's an upsetting, that's an upsetting and infuriating thing. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think... When you look at it now, because this was a while ago now, is there anything you would have done differently, either one of you? I wouldn't have made the comment. Hmm. And Nicole, what about you? Probably would have tried to do what you said, which is less cramming down the throat in the moment. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would have, because, you know, like, on paper, it sounds like the right thing. Like, oh, you know, be calm and take well, your but, time and explain no, but, things. But, but it's it's not on paper if you've had an experience mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, I've got it. This is going to come up again or something like this. Let me see if there's another way I could look at it. I think that's, um, I think that's something that we ought to try to do. What Maybe. advice do you think you could give for other couples? I mean, people go through this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. How would you advise another couple to deal with a situation like this? Just push through it. Just say what you want to say, and then, you know, if you come back to it in the morning when you're both... Uh-huh. And try to listen to what it. the other person said and what exactly. they, who they are, yeah. too. Yeah. But I think you have to be able to separate, like, the pieces of your partner, you know? Mm. I think that... That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. I think that's true. There's Charlie's love for me. There's the place Charlie comes from, the places Charlie would like to go, the knowledge he's come to me with, the knowledge he'll get from me, the knowledge he'll get from out being out in the world and experiences. And, you know, I, I look at him as somebody who isn't set in stone, but as somebody who's forever changing. And I don't look at him as somebody who, oh, you said one thing one time and that's horrible and you're, you're now you're, you're an ex in my book, you know? Like, it's not like that. It's kind of like, you know, he's, he's forever changing and you have the opportunity as somebody in his life to help, m you know, make the pieces what they are, you know? And I, I think as his partner, it's my responsibility to be somebody who he can learn from or reflect and see himself in, you know? And and if, if if you're not doing that in your relationship, then what's the point? And, and mutually doing that. Yeah. yeah. Charlie and Nicole's experience, and the fact that their relationship didn't suffer after this outburst early on, shows that even bad fights 
don't need to be disastrous if both people work at reconciling and demonstrate mutual understanding and acceptance. Both of them made efforts to show that they cared and tried to grasp each other's point of view. As Nicole says, The thing is, nobody's made perfectly for anyone else. You kind of get what you get, and then you have to work together like a puzzle piece that doesn't totally fit together. Absolutely you you do. And, And the other person, what makes it work is when the other person is working too. Yeah. You know, so you've got two people well, who are the trying. Thing is, I saw him working. Like even yeah. even him arguing with me was him still trying. It wasn't he wasn't like, well, black people are bad. He well, was just trying to defend his point of view and where he came from and well, I had this, respect th- for that. This is why I, I, I like this story so much because I can hear both of you thinking about the other one, not just as the enemy. That's the thing that people lose. You know, when, mm. when people get into political arguments, they forget that they have each other. You can get through a lot of stuff that could be really tricky and really mm. painful and really bitter, and you didn't come out any of those ways. We're both very just appreciative that we have each other. I Love You But I Hate Your Politics is produced by Alex Abnos, with editing help from Katie Ferguson and Becky Celestina. The senior editor for Macmillan Podcasts is Alyssa Martino. My new book with the same title will be published in spring 2019 by All Points Books. There you'll find more on Charlie and Nicole and meet many other people as well, couples, families, and friends who are struggling to keep their love alive despite serious political differences. If you have friends whose political fights are tearing them apart, do them a favor and tell them about I Love You But I Hate Your Politics podcast. Listening to it could save their relationships. And please let other people know about us, too, by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll be grateful if you add a brief note describing what you like about the show and why it spoke to you. That really helps get the word out. If you have more thoughts about the show that you'd like to share or have a political disagreement of your own you'd like to talk about, email us at podcasts at macmillan.com.